when you taper off something like is taught with alcohol, but when you taper off, you're keeping that addiction alive in your brain. Honestly, I can't tell you how transformational it is. It's, it's like magic. Have you ever wondered how successful businesses and thought leaders keep landing those big media opportunities and keep the buzz going around what they're up to? It's not just by chance. They're all using the power of storytelling. I'm Nicola J. Rowley, and with over 25 years in the media as both a journalist and PR expert, I'm here to help you unlock the story potential for both you and your brand. Everything starts with a story. This is the Power of Storytelling podcast. Well, hello there and welcome to this week's episode of the podcast. And I should say, happy 2024. I hope you're having a brilliant start to the year and are embracing the new field to absolutely everything that's around us. But if you are coming into 2024 and you're thinking, oh, there are still things overhanging from 2023. There are still things that I still need to overcome. There are things that I need to get sorted. Then I hope that my next guest will help you with those because we're going to be talking about the incredible journey that she's been on, but the fact that she also helps others really get to the root cause of what is holding them back what is causing them issues, all of those kind of things. She's a clinical hypnotherapist and she specializes in lots of other modalities, but we're going to talk about the clinical hypnotherapy in particular today, the fabulous Jacqueline Carson. Hello, Jacqueline. Thank you so much for joining us on the podcast today. Hello, and it's an absolute pleasure. Thank you for having me. And Happy New Year. It's, It's great to have you with us. When we're talking about 2024, obviously that's quite a way beyond where your big journey, and there have been lots of journeys. I think, let's face it, we all have journeys and stories and everything else, but your biggest story to date and your biggest journey that you've been on to date, that was quite a while ago now, wasn't it? But can you tell us a little bit about how that was for you and and what happened? So on the 1st of April this year, 2024, um, it'll be 10 years since I was diagnosed with breast cancer. That diagnosis changed my whole life. Up until that point, I'd been working and, and I am still registered as a child protection social worker. It was it's such a really tricky job. It was really stressful and quite toxic. And I was also struggling in my personal life a little bit as as well. And I'd had some losses, as people do, and some, you know, difficult relationships and things. But on that first of April in 2014, it, it, it was not long after my, my dad had died. It just absolutely swayed me completely through me and and I remember just bursting into tears it was an accident how I found this this lump literally just by chance and I was 48 at the time it was just kind of out of the blue I I kind of thought I was healthy-ish person however I was drinking a lot I was smoking quite heavily and I believe I was doing those things to almost self 
medicate. You know, I wasn't always like a, a heavy drinker. It, it kind of built up over the years, and and I think it really got worse when my marriage was was breaking down and 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 ended. And I ended up drinking a bottle of wine every night, and it was kind of coming home from you know the job. And it's how we kind of glorify it, isn't it? And and we we celebrate alcohol and we. And certainly I thought it was quite glamorous, you know, when I drank nice wine and you'd come in from the end of the day and you'd pour that glass of wine and sit and relax. And that just got into a really bad, really, really bad habit. And the same with the cigarettes as well. It was, I literally used to dream about not smoking and hated myself for ever starting because I didn't start smoking until I was actually 23, which was around about the time when my mum died. So you know, I hadn't, I wasn't one of these teenage smokers or drinkers. I had quite a strict childhood upbringing. I wasn't allowed to do anything like that. Um, and so I, I was, I was late really in, into starting smoking and I just wished I never started. And it, it almost felt like it would take a miracle for me just to not ever want a cigarette or not ever want a drink. And then when I was diagnosed with breast cancer, I was starting a new job, a new manager's job. And I had to go in on that first day and tell them, hi, I'm here, but I'm really sorry. I'm going to need all of this time off for surgery and treatment and things. And they were really good about it. I said to the consultant, I said, I haven't got time. You know, when he told me what needed to happen, I was just like, I haven't got time for this. My life is too busy. You know, I'm, I'm almost kind of too important you know the ego sort of takes over and it's just like things like this don't happen to me honestly Nicola I really had to just kind of take a breath and just sit back and really look at my life and look back at the stress that I'd been living in because whilst I obviously appreciate and take full responsibility for the smoking and the drinking and you know, the toxins that you're putting in your body, the poison, you, you know, the alcohol is. And, and I don't know if you know, there's about 7,000 different chemicals in a cigarette. So when you, you know, that you're putting that in your body all of the time, but the stress, and I think I hadn't really realized and understood fully until I sat back and looked at my life and looked at all of the relationships I'd bounced in and out of, including my marriage, that, that were toxic, that were hurting me, my work the stress that that brings, the abuse that you're dealing with every day in the families, but also the working environment it, it itself is, is actually quite toxic and the workload, the volume, you know, working around the clock and things like that and the pressure that I was putting myself under and at the same time trying to raise two kids. <laughs> I had some conventional treatment in that I had surgery. I was given a choice between whether to have um, a lumpectomy or whether to have a mastectomy, that alone was a huge pressure. And, and I was just like, well, how do I know? What would you do? But it was my it was my choice. And I chose the lesser of the two. But I was told, you know, after we've done that and we biopsy, you know, all of the tissue around um, the tumour, then, um, the you know, you may need to have surgery Again, you know, you may still need to have an mastectomy, and that I, I was terrified, absolutely terrified. 
the team couldn't agree actually after I had that first surgery, which which also was scary. But in the end, I didn't have a mastectomy. So I had the, the, the tumor removed and then I had radiotherapy following that. During that time, I was offered a range of kind of like alternative treatments, some acupuncture, some hypnotherapy. And I, I went along for those. I tried them all. I thought, I'm just going you know, to see what they're all like. And you know what? Hypnotherapy, I, I can't tell you just how it blew me away. And it wasn't anything like I practice now. Uh, you know, I was in a hospital room with, you know, all of the trolleys and the beds and things. And I was sat in one of those upright chairs, those those real straight back plastic chairs. And this guy in the room, he told me to close my eyes and listen to the clock. And all I could hear was the nurses going by, the trolleys kind of shouting and laughing. And I was next door to the room where they, they did the chemotherapy. So there was lots of kind of commotion and comings and goings and things. And I just sat there and I thought, I don't know what I'm doing here, you know, kind of relaxing, but, you know, wasn't really paying any attention to what he was saying. But I had a few sessions and over the course of those sessions, something just seemed to click. And I thought, I really have to take ownership of this. You know, I really have to um, really think about how I've been leading my life and how I want to lead my life in the future because... This is no accident. Um, and it helped me look at things in a calm way and in a logical way, if that makes any sense. Because when we use hypnosis, we're not actually working with a logic mind. We're working with the subconscious. So um, I didn't really understand it at the time, but I knew that I had to do something. And so stress was the first thing. I decided I needed to get out of my job. I needed to get out of that environment, that pressure. There had to be more to life than this. And I wanted to live, Nicola. I didn't want to die. I'd had, and I have had and still have had since me, family members, even younger than me, who have died from cancers. Let's just rewind a little bit because you've touched on so many things during your story. Like and, uh, and I know that I could listen to you all day going through um, all of the ins and outs. The fact that you'd had a very a stressful moment, you know, like filled with grief when your mum passed away, then you had your dad passing away as well. Like those both seem to be trigger moments for you as it is for anyone when you're going through a massive loss of that nature. But the thing that really struck me when you were talking was the fact that you're there and you're in front of a medical professional who's telling you you have breast cancer and this is the treatment plan. Now, at that point, what should have happened is that everything automatically went on hold and you were like, right, whatever it is that I need to do, let's just do it. Whereas your reaction was, I don't have the time for this because this number of people rely on me. These are all the things that I'm doing. You know, I'm a, you know, a senior manager. I need to lead the team. I need to do all of these kind of things. That pressure, like you say, like that feels to me like you've got your perspective. It was just so 
out of kilter from where it really needed to be. Totally agree. And I think it had been like that for a long time. You know, as I say, my relationships had bounced in and out, even, you know, with my, with my marriage, um, which I'd really, you know, put a lot of effort in. And it was heartbreaking, but I, I was, you know, I had two kids that were, that both relied on me and, and who were grieving. They were very close to their grandfather and they, um, my daughter was at uni. She was devastated by my father's death. And obviously my son was also affected and, and they both relied on me. I didn't have, you know, at the time I wasn't in the relationship, I didn't have a partner or anybody who I could rely on. I was the only one bringing any money in. And I was self-employed. So e- even though I was working as a manager, I was kind of contracting myself out. So I didn't have anything to fall back on. I didn't have any, you know, insurances or anything. I've learned my lesson now. But, you know, I didn't have um, the, the cushion of an employer who said, right, have six months off and get yourself, you know, get, get sorted. I didn't have that. So I... It, apart from when I wasn't allowed to drive when I had the surgery, which I think was only a couple of weeks, two or three weeks, I worked. I worked right the way through my treatment. And radiotherapy is brutal. It's brutal. They tell you that it's going to be, um, you might get a bit of red, sore, itchy skin, and you might feel a bit tired. That's what they tell you. They don't tell you that actually it's more than a bit tired. It's one minute you're absolutely fine and the next minute your head is on the desk and you just can't, you can't move, you, you know. It's brutal. But yes, I also had a, a, a team of people that relied on me. It was a new job as well. So, you know, that was tricky. It wasn't like I'd been there for a long time. And it was some distance away from home, you know. So I, I was travelling in one direction to the hospital to go have my uh, treatment. And then I was driving all the way down the country to do my job on a daily basis and then coming home to parent my kids. I think a lot of people listening are going to resonate in terms of, you know, if you are running your own business, the buck stops with you to a certain extent. And there is that whole kind of, hang on a second, what happens if something happens to me and you you touched on the fact that it's really important to have insurance in place to cover you so that you have a backup plan there is a plan b so that if for any reason you need to have a moment to be ill we all get ill from time to time albeit not quite as severely ill as you were but it's having that backup plan so that it alleviates a little bit of the pressure Absolutely right. Um, and it was, you know, it, it was a big lesson to learn. And I wouldn't say I've I've got it all perfect now, but I'm definitely more prepared for the unexpected than I was because I think I spent a lot of time thinking I was invincible. I was quite proud of being a hard worker. And, and that is one thing actually that, you know, my, my parents, my father in particular had instilled in me although there were, there were lots of other things I, I, I'm not so keen on, but it was this work ethic, which both of my kids have as well. You know, in some ways I regret that because that's what they've seen me do. And and I think it's taken a lot of years and since I was ill and since I've developed my now 
hypnotherapy business to understand that actually it's about working smarter, not harder. And it isn't about trading that time for money. And it is about prioritizing you and your health. But having the systems and things in place, as you say, as a backup. And and for me, you know, after I retrained and requalified, is is all about developing my business now, my small business now, into being able to create the life that I want so that I have got that space if I need to take a step back or if, you know, to, God forbid, you, you, you know, I, I get ill again um, so that you can have the the space to heal and recover because I didn't have that. I absolutely didn't have that because I felt I had to, I had to keep on going because that was the only place I got any money was from doing that job and, and going and doing the job and then getting paid. Whereas I know very different now. That's a good place. I'm not where I need to be or where I want to be just yet. But having that knowledge is phenomenal. And, you know, there is part of me that thinks oh, that old saying, I wish I knew then what I know now. You know, I mean, I grew up as probably many people my age did, um, you know, with, um, a father in particular who was like, you can't do that. That's for other people. You need to work a nine to five. You need to go out and get a job. Why are you dreaming of doing that? You, you know, you can't do this. You can't do that. Um, and it takes quite a lot of effort to get out of that headspace, a lot of work. But I'm coming out of that, I think, now and understanding that we can you know, we can we are, we can create that life, and we we can earn money in smarter ways, so that we're not killing ourselves. Because I do think, you know, even um, you know, despite the alcohol, despite the the, the smoking, that um, a lot of my illness was created by stress, and I think a lot of that stress came from my life and and you know my working life in particular because I was working 24 that's the thing isn't it because if you have a lot of stress eventually it does take its toll and I think lots of people have seen like if they've got stress like if I get really really stressed it's not surprising that afterwards I get a sniffle or a cold or something like that. But I think if you are constantly doing this over a number of years and you're not being able to process some of your emotions, which I guess is what you were masking with the smoking with your mum's death and then obviously the alcohol with your dad's death, because you weren't processing that and allowing that to all come out. It was like almost like a volcano ready to go off because it was just built, all the pressure was just like building inside of you. Let's talk about hypnotherapy because I know that that changed everything after you had those few sessions with that chap in the room with all the noise going on and everything else. It really shifted something in you and you were able to use it to quit smoking and then eventually quit alcohol as well, weren't you? Honestly, I can't tell you how transformational it is. It, it's like magic. Once I decided to uh, train as a hypnotherapist, and I did that around my job, my work, I remember qualifying in the October 2016. And then on the 4th of December that same year, 2016, quit smoking. 
it's like magic. I hate cigarettes now. I can't bear the smell. I can smell them miles away, even out walking the dog and I'm on my own. If, you know, across fields, I can smell it. It's amazing. I hate it with a vengeance. Honestly, I tried to stop before. I had actually had hypnotherapy before, believe it or not. Um, but but this, oh, this was before I even got the um, the breast cancer. I tried it and a guy came to my house and I remember lying there and on the sofa and it was only me in the house and I had three dogs at the time and they were all sniffing at the door. And all I could think of was I've got this guy I've never met before sitting behind me. I'm lying on my sofa in my house on my own. And, you know, he left now and I went outside and had a cigarette. <laughs> um, when I reflect back on that, it, it certainly wasn't the right environment um, for me and it probably wasn't the right time. I wasn't in the right headspace. Whereas once I'd had the cancer diagnosis and I'd made that decision, get rid of the stress, then stop the smoking, then stop the drinking. And then there were other things as well that, that I did when I learned more about cancer and, and, and how it works. The drinking was a little bit more tricky. And I'm really surprised at that because obviously I'd smoked for a lot longer, but I was scared. I, I wasn't frightened of stopping smoking. I was a little bit skeptical at first because I'd tried before and, and failed. But with the drinking, I was scared. And the reason I was scared, Nicola, was because I knew I was drinking a heck of a lot more than I should. I would never be honest with the doctor if I ever did go, the, you know, when they ask you questionnaire, how much do you drink? I was never honest. I used to hide my recycling. I used to go to different shops to buy a bottle of wine every night after work and couldn't come home and not have any wine in the house. If I'm honest, I probably couldn't come home and just have one bottle of wine in the house. I needed to know that I had a second one, just in case. I didn't drink two, but just in case, I needed that one extra after I'd had that bottle. That's frightening. I was scared of stopping because I'd heard lots of stories. Um, obviously, in my job, I'd worked with some real alcoholics and and you know the medical teams as well he'd worked with these people so you hear things and you hear the whole thing about you know like the AA that kind of group work standing up and admitting you're an alcoholic and all of that but the scary thing for me was I'd heard that you know for people who drink heavily if they suddenly stop that can put their body into shock and and so all of this was going through my head so it took a bit longer but I've reasoned with myself that actually, how is it okay then to just keep putting that poison in my body? It's not. So I'm sorry, but I'm going to stop. And this was the conversation I was having with myself. So I didn't stop until the 2nd of January, 2019. And I self-hypnotized. I actually wrote myself a kind of script. Now, I don't use scripts when I work with people, but I do a full and thorough consultation. So I hear their story and so what I did was I wrote my story down and I wrote my alcohol story down and I wrote down how I would work with me if I was sitting in front of me as a client. Um, and I went over and over and over and I hypnotized myself and I, I, that's how I did it, it, it essentially. And so from the 2nd of January 2019, I've never had any alcohol and I never will. I feel amazing. I think the first night... 
um, struggle to sleep. And then after that, I've had the best sleep ever. And I had no adverse reactions at all. And so I do think, because with addictions especially, the way that they work and the way that they affect the brain, um, when you taper off something, like is is taught with alcohol, but when you taper off, you're keeping that addiction alive in your brain. And so when you when you just switch it off altogether, then the brain, yeah, might be a little bit kind of um, antsy for a while, but not too long. And eventually when it realizes it's not going to get it anymore, the body would recalibrate. So your brain settles and calms. And so I think sometimes we prolong things like this and that can make it harder for people to stop. As you're talking, as you're taking us through this stage of your journey, we're obviously in dry January, which is a really big thing. And it's gaining momentum um, because people want to not be drinking. Maybe they've drunk a lot during the Christmas period, the festive season and everything else. And they want to almost like purge themselves of it. But there is a thought that actually it shouldn't just be a month like long thing. If you want to be as healthy as possible, if you want to embrace new change and everything else, then actually there are ways to continue that, to be able to continue cutting down on the amount that you drink. Jacqueline, I find your story absolutely fascinating. And I know that so many of our listeners will think the same thing too. The fact that you've come out from where you were to running a thriving business now, I think is testament to a lot of grit and determination on your part, but also real tenacity to not give up because it would have been quite easy to just go, right, okay, I'm going to go in and find another job and work another nine to five because that will be easier to do this. But actually you're having more impact on more people's lives doing what you're doing because you're able to help them, whether that's help them stop their addictions, get on top of things in their lives. If people want to find out more about what it is that you do, where can they find you? So my website is hypnotherapy-darlington.co.uk and I'm also on Facebook, which is just Jacqueline Carson Hypnotherapy and it comes up clinical hypnotherapy. I specialize mainly in working with women and um, lots of uh, addiction issues and uh, particularly alcohol. And at the moment, I'm running my first live online program, which is really exciting. And that covers everything, just the whole transformation. Um, And it's, yeah, it's taken a lot of of time and effort and blood, sweat and tears to get here. But the sense of achievement that I get from helping people see that it literally feels like magic, changing people's lives like that, helping them to change their lives and to see that they have got all of their own resources in their subconscious mind is just amazing. It's it's so powerful. Don't forget, if you're thinking, well, I've heard Jacqueline talking now, I've heard several of these episodes on the Power of Storytelling podcast, and yeah, I think I could be ready to tell my story too so that I can reach more people and make a difference to other people's lives. 
don't forget if you're thinking am i ready for pr take our free quiz pr-quiz.com and we'll see you again next week on the power of storytelling until then take care